Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Shock and awe. Uh, that was, of course, uh, one of the uh, main thrusts of the Bush administration when it came to the invasion of Iraq. It's what's happening in Washington political circles these days. Uh, it was double-barreled action yesterday, of course, with uh, the release of excerpts from Bob Woodward's new book in the morning. Then in the afternoon, the uh, anonymous op-ed piece in the New York Times online, uh, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. Joining us to talk about the implications and uh, the letter itself, Laura Babcock, president of Power Group. It's good to see you again. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, this this was a day. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought the Woodward book and the excerpts from that book were going to dominate the news cycle yesterday. And they mm-hmm. did until this happened. Yeah, this is really notable because Woodward has done books on a bunch of different presidents. Uh, and we know that he was the original reporter, one of the reporting group that that handled Watergate and had Deep Throat. And so he's got credibility, unlike maybe any journalist on the planet. And so his book was more than just a pile on. It was more than just, you know, one more book on the chaos inside the Trump administration. It's not Michael Wolff writing this. It's not salacious. This is Bob Woodward. And if he's writing it, he's got the tapes to back it up. So that was a big deal. And it added to the narrative. And it, it I think, maybe convinced even some soft Trump supporters out there, sort of the um, Republican Chamber of Commerce types that might have voted for him or who really just had a distaste for Hillary Clinton, the Bob Woodward book would probably add a little bit more impetus to say, hey, hold on, we at least need to check on the president's power. Maybe a Democratic vote for Congress this fall at the midterms is actually just going to check that a little bit. So so it is alarming, the Woodward book. Um, it, it just makes everyone know, okay, this is for real. But then this letter, this letter is truly unprecedented because when we found out about the Pentagon Papers years ago and when we found out about all these other presidents who had these issues in the White House in the last days of Nixon and all the rest, it was long after uh, the presidency and the crisis internally had been averted or had been stopped. To find out in the midst of it, from inside, you know, the call is coming from inside the House here, uh, that is really unprecedented. And it speaks to a number of possibilities, and there's a lot of speculation out there. Uh, but we all have to take a pause and just say, this, is, this has never happened before. We are watching, we are getting inside intel that there is a crisis to the likes of maybe with Woodrow Wilson or, or with you know, some of these other presidents who got ill or, had, uh, or were incapacitated, but we're finding ab- out about it now. It's, it's not being hidden from us. Um, and so what does that mean for America? There's tons of implications. And and there is a historical perspective on this. I mean, there are secrets always in the White House, mm-hmm. and those secrets are always kept. I mean, FDR's illness, uh, right. the, the American public didn't know about that. Uh, JFK's dalliances, uh, mm-hmm. on and on it goes. Uh, uh, indications that Ronald Reagan was suffering from early signs of dementia the mm-hmm. last part of his, his uh, tenure in the White House. But this is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is uh, this is threatening, as the letter says, uh, the the very essence of the, of their democracy and what's going on in the White House on a daily basis. Uh, you know, when when this letter talks about you know a president that rants and and can't stay on topic on issues and starts making decisions. Uh, one line here: meetings uh, with him veer off topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants. His impulsiveness results in half baked, ill informed, and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. That's uh, that's a damning statement. So, to me, uh, it is. But to me, that was not the most concerning parts of this letter. Um, the fact that he had, you know, ordered a kill order on on uh, Assad, uh, the fact that he, the way that he talks about war and the and the use of 
power of, of executive power with the military. The fact that you have, and this is coming out of Woodward's book too, the, the idea that Mattis has to say, yes, sir, Mr. President will do that and then tell his team that's not going to happen, right? So, so who is running the United States' most powerful military on earth? Is it the duly elected civilian oversight, which is how it's supposed to work? Or is it, in fact, these generals, the, whether it's Kelly or Mattis or whoever else, uh, is the military effectively controlling the military decisions for this White House? Now, everyone swears an oath not to the president. They swear an oath not to do take an illegal order, right? So if those orders are in fact illegal, then Mattis is completely within his rights to say, we're not going to be doing that. But it begs the question, who is running the United States government? Is it a cadre of, of insider Trump picks political appointees who are part of this resistance, which they say is not the resistance of the left to Trump? They support his tax cuts. They support his deregulations. It's a resistance to some of the more dangerous impulses that he has, right? So who's running our government? Or who, not our government, who's running the world, essentially? The world needs to have an answer to that. And so I think we will need to find out the depth and breadth and scope of who these people are and how many decisions they've thwarted or changed. Um, because that's not how the U.S. is supposed to work. During the campaign, during his, his run-up to get the nomination, during the campaign for the presidency, uh, and even subsequent to that, Lauren, uh, almost the next uh, the past two years, uh, we, we've all been watching what's been said, what he has said, mm -hmm. uh, what he's tried to do, and, and the discussion has always been, well, this is the tipping point. Uh, the American public's going to have an—Congress is just going to say enough is enough. Uh, and it's never happened. Mm-hmm. Are, are we closer to it now because of what happened yesterday? I don't think anything in that letter would be a surprise to congressional leadership. To well, that's what, that's what David yeah. Korn said right, from Mother Jones yesterday. Right. He said, why are we surprised by this? We yeah. knew this, didn't we? We did. And and we know that Paul Ryan and McConnell and Graham and others have been, it seems, playing that sort of keep your enemies closer kind of thing. They have been aware. Um, if, you t if you listen to White House reporters, they'll say that off the record, these guys say to them, listen, you don't know what I've stopped. You know, you guys can give me a hard time for looking like I'm blindly following this guy or letting him get away with stuff. But by staying close to him, I've stopped all these terrible things. So I think what the letter did yesterday is it gave us an indication that, okay, maybe, maybe, in fact, that's why these guys have not moved against him, because they want to keep that sense of connection, right? Uh, and so... Are they enablers? Yes. Uh, but are they enablers for the sake of our global security? Maybe we need to just give a pause and, and kind of reflect on that. What I thought was so interesting in the letter was where it talked about people who have been cast as villains by the media are actually doing yeoman's work. They're actually getting in the face of this hurricane daily and preventing chaos. Um, so I'm sort of rethinking it a little, although there is some theories that say, is this just a group of people who, after the McCain funeral, realized they didn't want to be have a legacy of being on the wrong side of history? So they're sort of saying, uh, you know, you can't blame us when we leave this administration because we, we tried and we put it out there that we tried. And so I think David Frum said it's a bit of a cowardly coup in that in that capacity. So maybe that's what they're doing, just running some interference for their own legacy. Uh, or maybe it is what it looks like on its face, a group of people saying this is getting worse and we want you to know that we're here and we're doing we're the adults in the room. Uh, but at the end of the day, these adults in the room should be going over to Congress. 
there is an actual process for this. The question is, do they feel as though the Congress would support them and protect them? I mean, we've got the president demanding the New York Times turn this person over. We have him tweeting it's treason. Whoever wrote this letter had to know there would be dire consequences and maybe felt that they couldn't go to Congress and follow those channels. I mean, it is, it is really mind-boggling, the, the implications of this op-ed. Well, let's talk about the, the other end of this, and that's the journalistic mm-hmm. side. Uh, this is not without precedent to, to, to sh- publish an op-ed piece like this mm-hmm. under anonymity. Uh, and, and by the way, we need to, to clarify that because uh, the, 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 this writer is not anonymous. The New right. York Times <laughs> knows who it is. Right. The, the, the editor who was responsible for this said that they had a, a face-to-face conversation, not just a phone conversation, with this individual who he says he knows and trusts and knows very well. So it's not really anonymous. The only thing that, that we really have to hang our hat on here is the Times said, we don't want to inf- let you know who it is right now. You know, and there's a fascinating little piece here. Uh, If if this is Deep Throat 2, let's say, the fact that Bob Woodward's book dovetails with this release um, is just just too much for those of us who follow media and politics, right? I mean, you you can't even write this stuff at all. We've said that so many times with Trump, but really. Uh, So, of course, a person's not anonymous. The New York Times is taking tremendous hits about this decision and people and the pressure they will get from the White House to reveal this source for national security and the scrutiny they will get for readers when eventually it will come out who it was and readers will decide well that wasn't worth the anonymity that you provided right the new york times has opened up pandora's box for themselves on this and so that tells me that the person had to have been high enough up that it was absolutely legitimate it was apparently negotiated by a third party intermediary which just shows you that who's ever doing this knows what they're doing from a media perspective. Uh, And some of the language in it are words used by the vice president, which could have been co-opted by the author to throw off the scent, right? If you you use someone else's colloquialisms in a letter like that, when you want to protect your identity, then people kind of chase rabbit holes the wrong direction. So whoever wrote this letter Every word seems calculated. The, you know, pulling other people's language and styles, the the concept that they put in about the casting of people as being villains when in fact they are the heroes, it, it is very, very cleverly written. Um, and we will probably find out who it was eventually, but the New York Times had to have felt it was worth it. On that point, though, uh, whoever this individual is, and we have to assume it's somebody, and we don't even know. I mean, you, mm. know, you may not even be working in the White House. A senior official could be anybody in government. Uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a trusted position. But if this, this Fletcher Christian, who's, mm-hmm. who's trying to keep the good ship bounty on course through this whole thing, <laughs> right. uh, if that, it, it, I mean, you know how it ended for Fletcher Christian, mm-hmm. you know, banished, gone. I mean, what this individual, what about their credibility when they do come forward? Well, they will either be lauded as t- a the, hero. The, the, times, right? the Times is setting this person up for failure because unless it's somebody, you know, whose, whose desk is outside the Oval Office, they're going to say, what do they know? Yeah. Um, so one of the things I think that's interesting and adds to the confusion is that Trump has had sort of this open door policy. He has not wanted to have a, a White House office where if you read Michael Wolf's book, one of the aides talked about, you know, usually if someone's going to get to the Oval Office to see the president, there's a 50 point strategy yeah. to get there. You have to go through all these hoops and all these approvals. He's had this kind of open door like he's running his business at a Trump Tower. So the amount of people who have access and knowledge of what's going on is so vast that tracking them down would be difficult. What I can think, though, is that the New York Times has been, uh, with the Washington Post, really on the vanguard of, of trying to check this presidency and this administration, for them to grant this anonymity 
I have to believe it's not someone who happens to work over in, you know, in the Pentagon who happens to walk into the office once in a while. They would not have done that um, because of the pressure, because of the conversation that we're having, because of their credibility. Uh, you know, as much as people might love what they're doing uh, on the Trump administration, it's also very critical readership of the New York Times. They expect them to be the paper of record. And if they've messed this up gratuitously, they're going to pay for it. So I have to believe it's someone high up. To maintain that credibility, though, mm-hmm. and to maintain this in the news cycle, Does that person have to step forward soon? Well, people are certainly calling for that. But I think if I were that person, I wouldn't be step stepping forward with a mercurial president who's asked if it's treason and demanded for national security for them to be turned over unless I absolutely knew that I had the congressional leadership backing. If I didn't have some powerful senators, uh, Graham and McConnell and others, who were going to run interference and, and give me whistleblower protection, I don't think that I'd make that move. I mean, for all the people saying that they're cowards, they're cowards. Just think about the consequence uh, if they come out and they're not protected. You know, it, it, it's it's tremendously unsettling. And if people felt that there was a strong congressional legislative branch and if the, there was going to be fairness and there was going to be good protections under the law, maybe they would. But everything seems to be in such a state of flux and chaos right now that I would expect that they're going to um, wait a little while until they've negotiated that kind of an arrangement. Shouldn't they have done that before they in, put the letter out? Yeah, well, or maybe they have, and we just don't you, know you it. Look at what's happened over the last yeah. 24 hours, Laura. The reaction so far uh, is not encouraging for this individual to come forward because mm-hmm. they're getting slammed, even for people that don't like Trump, and say, yeah, this is valid, but you should have put your name on it. Right, and and they allude to the fact that there are dozens. I mean, that something came out today that there are dozens of these people who are, which just also um, helps with that deep state conspiracy theory, right? I can imagine Trump at his next rally is going to say, see, the deep state exists. They just admitted to it, which has led some people to think this is a setup letter by the Trump administration to create the appearance of the deep state. And I have to believe that the New York Times would have thought of that and would have made sure that this was authentic and the person had seniority or they wouldn't have done it because it leads to those kind of theories. At the end of the day, though, we don't know how long this has been negotiated for, what the next steps are. For someone to write a letter like that at that level of risk, that is literally going to shake the world. I mean, foreign leaders around the world are, are reading this op-ed, right? It is significant in layers. And if you listen to foreign policy experts and former admirals, they're saying this basically tells the world that our president does not run the military, that our president doesn't have the power of presidential control anymore. You know, it's a soft mutiny, right? Like you, it is, it is. Amazing. And we might be a nerd to some of that because we hear so much Trump stuff all the time. But you just have to look at this from that kind of geopolitical perspective. All of that being said, the person who wrote this letter put themselves to uh, an America at a level of great risk. Um, so you you have to think that they have a strategy that there if it is if it is authentic in terms of what they're telling that there is a group of them who and you saw the word they took a vow that suggests yeah. some organization right. Uh, so you have to think that a group that would do this and take a vow at that level that they have a plan you know that there's a strategy that they're working out some way to um, to thwart whatever. Agenda they think they're thwarting with Trump and maybe get Congress involved. So we don't know, and we're all speculating, uh, but just the level of it from a media viewpoint is so significant that you have to think that the thinking behind it is also quite strategic. Uh, Trump is paranoid to to begin with, and that's pretty obvious based on his actions and what he's done over the last little while. How does does a a Trump actually try to deal with this then? I mean, you know, we've, we've heard that he's going to purge the staff. He doesn't know who to trust now. 
Yeah, I remember, didn't Trump say years ago, I read one of his books years ago, where he said, you're not paranoid if people are after you, <laughs> you know, something along that nature. Um, now, it doesn't feel much like paranoia. It feels like he legitimately has people working against his against his, his will, um, working to thwart his agenda, parts of it anyway. And so he will go on a, a, on a legitimate witch hunt, I guess, um, looking for people. But they've tried that before. They've tried to get the leakers out. They've taken away cell phones. Remember, Spicer tried to do it. Yeah. Um, they cannot contain the leaks now. Um, and I doubt that anything that he does is going to expose the individual. But what this sets up, and I think it's a valid criticism of this letter writer, is that if you are basically saying that there is a bear who's acting wildly and and risking everybody. You just did the ultimate poke of that bear. And now what have you unleashed? That's And that's the concern. I know Howard <laughs> Feynman uh, tweeted about that just about an hour and a half or so ago, suggesting, look, at as bad as things were, uh, you may have just made them worse by writing this letter and publishing this letter. And, and, and that's, I guess, something we won't know the answer for, uh, not immediately anyway, but it is something that we're going to have to be concerned about. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that we should all follow this closely, not jump to any conclusions, but understand the enormity of it. Laura Babcock from Power Group. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming in today. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.